Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Not a lot of time today, so we're just going to jump right in, all right? Um, Jesus did not come to a world that was without worship. That was not the problem when Jesus came. In fact, Jesus encountered a woman one day, and they were having this conversation, and in the course of the conversation, she perceived that Jesus was a pretty sharp guy and and very sharp spiritually and so she started to engage him in a discussion about worship and she said you know our people worship here and the 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 Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem and you know we we don't really know where we're supposed to worship so what do you say where should we worship should we worship here should we worship there And, and it's interesting that she didn't even know who Jesus was but that was the question that was on her mind should we worship here? Should we worship there? How do, you, how do you worship? How do you know where to be and where to go and, and how to do it? And Jesus um, came into this world. It was, it was full of worship already. It wasn't that Jesus needed to come to the world to, to have something to worship. Um, I'll tell you why there has always been worship in the world. There's always been worship in the world because we are worshipers. That's who we are and what we do. Um, you don't have to be a church person to be a worshiper. Uh, worship matters what i'm trying to get you to see is that wherever you are today worship isn't about the band worship really isn't uh, about um, the church or christians or religion even i'm just trying to get you to see this morning that worship has a whole lot to do with you because you are a worshiper now i didn't say you were a christian and i didn't say that you go to church i said you're a worshiper i didn't even um, say that you were all that spiritual but you, you are a worshiper. All of us are. We are made in the image of God. There is something on the inside of us that is looking for the bigger than. There's something on the inside of us that's looking for the greater than. Something that, that's looking for the more important than us thing. It's looking for whatever there is that made us and brought us into existence. That's what we're looking for. And pe- there are people this morning who maybe are even studying the back of their eyelids still and haven't woken up yet this morning. But when they do... The one thing that's going to be on their mind is in some way or another kind of lurking underneath, not necessarily right up front, but it's going to be this thing, you know, what is my significance? Why am I here? Who made me? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I about? And if we don't find that ultimately in God, we find it in God. And I don't mean big G O D. I mean little G O D. Everything, um, everybody has to have a God of some kind. We all are worshipers. We're going to find something to worship. We're going to find something to put our trust in, our hope in. We're going to find something to work toward. We're going to find something to praise, something to look at, something to revere. And hopefully that's big G, little O, D. But for a lot of people, whether they're at church this morning or not, for a lot of people, it's little G, little O, little d and we can say yeah i worship god and i worship in spirit and truth because the answer that jesus gave this lady was when you worship it has nothing to do with what mountain you're worshiping on it doesn't have anything to do with really what you're wearing it doesn't have anything to do with the songs you're singing doesn't have anything to do with any of that stuff what it has to do with is are you worshiping in spirit and truth he said it like this yet a time is coming and has now come When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit 
and in truth. He says, you can go whatever mountain you want to. You can sing whatever kind of songs you want to sing. You, you can get it all right. You can go to the right. You can go to this mountain and that mountain. You can be all dressed up. You can sing the songs that you think are the most important songs to God. You can do all that and still miss the point. It's about the heart. It's about connecting with God. It's about a heart that is in the right posture to praise. He said those are the kind of people that God are looking for, God is looking for to be worshipers. Last week we talked about three reasons why worship matters. I want to just kind of recap that a little bit and then we'll pick up running with the last two. There were five of those all together and we're going to look at the first three again then we're going to look at the last two. The uh, first thing we said is worship matters because God is worthy. God is worthy of all worship of all peoples, period. And therefore, it should matter to you because it matters to God. Secondly, worship matters because we are worshipers. We're going to worship something. So you better find a worthy God. It would be um, true to say that there are some unworthy gods among us this morning. That, that It would be true to say that our lives... Um, that we've got some unworthy gods going on right now in our life. And, and I'm not really telling you anything that you don't really know. And, and um, truth be told, I've probably got a few struggles of my own in that area. We have this tendency to put things on the throne that should not be on the throne. We have a tendency to somehow take God off and put other things on there. That's true for all of us at one time or another in our life. Maybe that's true of you right now. That what should be on the throne isn't on the throne. And if you're totally honest and you're in this place and it's just you and God and you're in your holy place with him and you say, okay, as Brett's talking, God, can I truly say you're on the throne? There's probably an awful lot of us that would say, no, probably not. Probably not. And we've got some gods floating around in our life that are just not worthy of our worship. And once in a while we get a little confused and we get a little twisted up and think, man, that is just the greatest thing going. She is the greatest thing going. My job is the greatest thing going. That car is the greatest thing going. And I think in our hearts we know this is a really, really puny God. But that's what I've got going for me right now, so I'm going to worship it with all my heart. You have to be careful whatever God you choose, because whatever you choose... You're going to worship something, and, and whatever it is that you choose, you don't want to spend your whole life worshiping something and then get to the end of it and realize, I, I've been worshiping the wrong thing my whole life. Oh, my goodness. I've had the wrong thing on the throne of my life my whole life. And at the end of your life, you go, Woo-hoo! Look what I did. Look what I worshiped. And then come to this crashing realization that that's the wrong thing. You know, you could spend your whole life building a business and it's the wrong thing. You could spend your whole life making life about the kids and kids are great, but if kids are on the throne, that's the wrong thing. You can spend your whole life trying to look pretty and build your body and make it this thing that's eventually going to decay and it's the wrong thing. Finally, we said worship matters because there is an ongoing war over my worship. It's a weird concept. But the enemy is not in heaven for one reason, and that reason is not because he did something bad and he got kicked out. The reason the Bible says that he fell like lightning from heaven is not because he, he disobeyed one of the Ten Commandments and they said, that's it, you've got to leave. That's not why he's not in. 
The reason Satan fell like lightning from heaven is because he refused to acknowledge God and he refused to regard the supremacy of God in all things. He refused to say, you're God and I'm not. You're glorious and I'm not. I, I worship and praise you. That was the problem with the devil. Somewhere in his heart he said, I want some glory to come to me. I want some praise to come to me. I, I want some of that. I don't, I don't want to share all of it. I don't want to give it all. I want, I, I, it would be nice if I got some. And in that moment, the Bible says he fell like lightning from heaven. But he's been there. He's been in heaven, and he knows what's going on there, and he knows the centrality of God to all things. There are things in our life that God are concerned about, certainly. I mean, if you lied to your boss this week, God's concerned about that. If you stabbed your best friend in the back, God's concerned about that. If you have raging lust in your heart or you want something so bad you're willing to steal it, God's concerned about that. Those aren't inconsequential things to God. It's not like God just passes a, a, a casts a passing glance at that and says, well, that's not really all that big a deal. Uh, you know, if you can't stand someone else, God's concerned about that. If you've got a vendetta or you want revenge against someone or you're carrying anger in your heart, God's concerned about that, certainly. But his primary concern for your life is that something is going to rob his praise in your life. That is what God is primarily concerned about. Not that those other things don't matter and don't count. They do. But the primary thing God worries about each and every day for you and for me is that something is going to come along and replace him on the throne. And that we're going to look at that thing and say that is the supreme thing. That's the greatest thing. That's the thing of greatest glory. The enemy's plan for our life is that we would find a little g od and put it on the throne and worship it every single day for some it's their looks they worship their looks for some it's pornography for some it's a car for some it's it's pride for some it's vengeance for some it's it's their business for some it's their family or their kids and those are you know some of those things not all of them but some of those things are great things but those are not things that are worthy to be on the throne, even though many times they find themselves there. We are not immortal. We've got just a little bit of time to walk on the earth, and in that time, we have an opportunity with our little mouth, with our little lungs, with our little heart, and with what little air we have, we have an opportunity to raise an anthem with our whole life to the great and glorious God. To say praise and glory and honor be to God. With the way I live, with, with, with what I put first, with how I think when I rise up and when I lay down at night, that the one thought I have is that I want God to be on the throne, that he is the most important thing, and he is worthy of my worship all the time, as much as I can give him. But one day... Our little heart and our little lungs are going to empty. And we won't breathe anymore and it's over. I am a pastor. And as such, I have the privilege to be in hospital rooms in, in uh, times when it's not, there's nobody smiling. 
Uh, I'm in hospital rooms sometimes when it's bleak and, and uh, you know that it, this person's not going to go home and recover. Um, I, I'm a pastor and I have the opportunity to be with people when they are grieving at a funeral home. And I do funerals. I do a lot of funerals. And you don't do that for very long that you don't get slapped in the face pretty quick with the idea that life is pretty uncertain and life can be pretty short and uh, sometimes it can come to an end in a hurry. And when that happens, you don't want the enemy to have stolen your praise. You don't want the enemy to have stolen your worship. There is a war going on for your worship. And when your car breaks down in front of the mall and you're late for something, it might be that there is a war going on in that moment for your worship. You know, we come here and we sing, we didn't this morning, but we come here sometimes and we sing, you know, you are holy. Um, we sing songs like, how great is our God. We come in here and we put on our smiles and we put on our nice clothes and we know how to act like a Christian and we come in here and be spiritual and sing those songs. But we get out there and our car breaks down and we're running late and we're not singing those songs. And those aren't the kind of words that are coming out of our mouth. The kind of words that are coming out of our mouth, we, we would wash our kids' mouths out with soap for saying those kind of words. But somehow when the car breaks down and it's not going right and everything in my world's falling apart and I'm late for this appointment and I can't believe this is happening now. This is the third train in 20 minutes. It's pretty much rage and roar, isn't it? It's pretty much this justifiable anger, at least in our mind it's justifiable, and there's not a whole lot of worshiping going on. You're out in front of Taco Bell and the car won't start. You don't have enough money for a burrito. And I'm mad and I'm hacked off and I'm cussing. And In here, God's great. Out there, we're not so sure. In here, God, you are holy and wonderful and we magnify you and praise your name and it's all good. But out there, when stuff goes south, we're not always so sure. And we're not always heard to sing the songs out there that we sing in here. There are times that things get tough, and they get tough for a reason. I think that there are times we're in the battle, and, 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 and it remains to be seen who is going to get our worship. And I'm not trying to put a demon in every radiator or a demon in every... Uh, car battery, um, it may be that you just need to sell the car, okay? It, it may be that, that um, you know, you're praying, God fix my car, and God's saying, I, I can't do anything with that. You know, I mean, I can't. <laughs> but it may be that when the car breaks down, and I'm not suggesting that when the car breaks down, you should go, praise God, hallelujah, my car broke down. Thank you, Jesus, because I get a chance to praise because my car broke down. See, I think for people who are watching from a distance, that looks inauthentic. 
Because that's not how you really feel. And God's not asking you to feel differently than you feel. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, you hear people talk that way sometimes, and I can't relate to that. That doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for me to praise God when my car breaks down. I mean, it's not like, oh God, you know, thank you that I'm not going to make this appointment. That's not what I'm saying. But it may be that what God wants you to say is, I'm going to worry about the car in a minute. Okay, the car's not starting, and it's hot outside, and, and I'm irritated, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, swirling around me, and i got to get my head together, and I'll, I'll worry about the car in just a second. But God, right now, I just want you to know, before I take care of any of that, and I'm kind of ticked off, and I'm burned, and, you know, nothing seems to be going right, I just want you to know, right now, you have my praise. You have it. I don't know how I'm going to get the car going. I could use your help with that. If you think the battery's still good. But I just want you to know, before I do anything else, you have my praise. I, this isn't making sense to me, and, I, and everything in me just wants to scream. Doesn't that sound more authentic? Doesn't that sound more in line with how you really want to feel? You're not going to praise God because the car breaks down. That doesn't make any sense. But what you do is you say, God, just in case somebody, you know, just in case there's a spiritual discussion happening somewhere where I can't see and and my praise is on the line, God, I want you to know my praise is with you. Just so you know. Now, you think we could do something with the car? The fourth reason worship matters is because we become what we worship. We turn into what we worship. Whatever you value the most consumes you, and it just it kind of takes over your life. It could be a relationship with somebody. It could be a promotion. It could be a new car. It could be a, a house. It could be a sports team. But whatever it is that you value the most, it turns around and it consumes your thinking, your passion, your time, your money. And it just consumes you. And whatever consumes you, conforms you. And whatever conforms you, eventually determines the destiny of your life. And one day you wake up and you say, I'm this kind of person, in this kind of place, with these kind of values. And it's because I worship the wrong thing. We were made in the image of God to worship God. And, and as we focus on God in the process, it changes our thinking into his character. If we worship God and value Him, God begins to consume us. And if He consumes us, He conforms us. And He shapes us. And He puts us on a path for the destiny of our whole life. Psalm 115, the psalmist kind of said it a different way. There have been lots of things to worship. There have been you know, lots of other gods that we could put our attention on. The psalmist says it like this, 115 verse 1, Not to us. O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Sound familiar? Now, why would he say that? Here's why. Because of your love and faithfulness, why do the nations say, where is their God? And the answer to that is, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Now, that is a pretty cool verse. 
I don't know who your God is, but my God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. That's how big he is. That's how powerful he is. That's how in charge he is. That's how sovereign he is. He's in, he's in heaven. He's in charge. He does whatever he pleases. Verse 4, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they can't walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. So on the one hand, the psalmist is saying, you know, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Your God can't speak, can't talk, can't feel, can't walk, can't utter a sound with his throat. And so someone would say, well, you know, I don't worship that. I don't worship your God. Well, whatever God they are worshiping, you know, you, you have that God. That's cool. He's four feet tall. He's made out of wood. That's fine. You know, it's, it weighs 2,500 pounds, and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, red, and it's got two wheels, and it's a motorcycle, and that's your God. That's fine. You know, that's, that's cool if that's your thing. Meanwhile, God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Now here's the kicker, verse 8. Those who make them, it's talking about other gods, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. What's the point? The point is we become what we worship. That's why worship matters to you, because if you get the God part wrong, you get the you part wrong. If you get the God part wrong, you become what you worship. And if you don't get the first part right, you're going to become something you don't want to become. You get the you part wrong. If you get the who's on the throne part wrong, then you get who's off the throne part wrong. It's possible that if you make your own God and you put that God on the throne, that you could eventually get to the place where you, you, you don't really even have anything to say or any place to go and, and uh, you don't walk a path that is good because you've got the wrong thing on the throne and you have become that thing. And if that thing is not the God in heaven who can do whatever he pleases and it's some idol other than him, we're going to become that. You ever been around somebody who was so into money that they became money? That, you know, they, they, that, that they just pursued money at such a rate and it was so important to them that one day you thought to yourself, you know what, they, they've just become that. You ever been around somebody that was so into a sports team that that's all they thought about, that's all they talked about? You couldn't have a rational conversation with them because it, everything was about the game and everything was about buying the right paraphernalia and everything was about tickets and seeing it on TV and... And, and it, you wake up one day and you go, oh my goodness, they, they have become that. You've worshipped it so long that that's what you are. In Isaiah, Isaiah kicked it up a notch, to borrow a term from Emerald. Isaiah 44 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell 
what will come. In other words, if you want to go toe-to-toe with God, he's cool with that. That's all right with God. He says, you tell me what happened before, you tell me what's going to come, match wits with me, which is just a silly argument because we, we, we don't know what God knows. Verse 8, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He changes an idol with hammers. He shapes the, an idol with hammers. He forges it with his might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. So here's the thing. If you're making your idol, you're making your God, and along the way you get tired, there's a problem with that. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. So that's a great great idea. I'm going to carve this man out of wood, and I'm going to put it in a shrine. I've been to places where that happens. Verse 14, he cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak, He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It's a neat little twist. God says, you know what, he's going to take this, he's planted this tree, but the tree doesn't even grow unless I water the tree. He needs me to grow up a piece of wood that he's going to turn into an idol. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. What he's saying is this guy cuts down a tree, the same tree that is going to provide wood to make his meal, he's going to make some kind of idol out of. He's going to make that his god. And he's just saying, you know, doesn't that, do you not see how crazy and preposterous it is that you would put something like that on the throne of your life? Half of the wood he burns in fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see. And their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Or to me? Or to some possession? Or to some thing or some accomplishment? Am I going to bow down to my bank account? or some pleasure, or some sin, or to getting my own way. Verse 20, he feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? What happened at the end of the day 
well, they, they chose something other than God to worship. And it says at the end of the day, they feed on ashes. In other words, they, they become bankrupt and they don't even have the ability to say, this thing that I'm holding on to, my thing of value, my, my awesome thing, whatever it is, this is what I'm sacrificing for. This is what I'm disobeying God for, this thing that I have in my hand. This is what I dream about. This is, this is my thing. And this thing that I'm holding in my hand is a flat-out lie. Whatever you value most consumes you in the end. And whatever consumes you conforms you, and whatever conforms you determines the destiny of your life. And that is why worship should matter to you and me. Finally, worship should matter to you and me because it is fuel for our soul. It is fuel for our soul. Isaiah 61 is a prophetic passage about Jesus coming. He says he's going to do amazing things. He's going to give sight to the blind. The deaf are going to hear. The oppressed are going to be lifted up and he's going to proclaim the favorable time of God. It's just this glorious passage. And then he says he's going to do something even more transforming than that. In verse 3 he says, a garment of praise. I will give you a garment of praise instead of a, a spirit of despair. In other words, he says, hey, here is what worship can do for you. See, we've talked all this time about the fact that worship is for God, that, that it's not for us, it's for God. That's, that's like, in order for you to understand how Cross Lane works, and in order for you to understand what's of value to us, if you're new to us, you need to understand one of the first things we, we tell people is it, it can't be about you. The people who come to Cross Lane, who integrate and who love this place, are people who, who understand this is not even about me. This isn't about what I want. This isn't about necessarily the things that are most important to me. This is about what God wants. This is about what God's up to. This is about how we're going to bring people to Jesus. This, this is about how I fold my will into something bigger than me. People who come to this church and get it, that's, that's why they get it. Because they've gotten past the point of this isn't even about me. I can take you to a lot of churches this morning who are struggling, who don't get it, who are fighting with one another, who don't have a mission statement, who didn't worship very well this morning, and I can tell you why they didn't worship well this morning, because a bunch of people walked into the room and said, this is all about me. And so what happens here is we walk in and we say, this, this isn't even about me. And we get that. But the beautiful thing is, in this particular passage, he tells us that there's something in worship for us. It does something to us, and it should matter to us for that reason. If you understand the power of worship, and you understand that there are times that you get so caught up in it that as you offer your praise, that it's like he puts a coat on you or a garment that fits just right. You have that coat or that jacket that when you put it on, that pair of jeans that when you put them on, it's like, yeah, <laughs> these are my favorites. You know, I want to wear that shirt. When I'm wearing that shirt, it feels like I'm not wearing a shirt. Sometimes when we praise, God does that for us. He just kind of puts this thing on us, and it feels just right. And it's like I was made for this moment to be in this time and to worship you like this. Something that fits well. Instead, 
He says, I'm going to give you that instead of you carrying something around that's cumbersome that doesn't fit right. My mom, I, I wasn't going to use this illustration, but it works here. I'm going to tell you this. My mom, when I was a senior in high school, I was a little guy, 5'6", in my senior year in high school, um, teeny tiny. And um, Easter was fairly early in that year, and then I had graduation coming up. Well, mom being a good mom, and probably every mom in the room would do this with their son, she figures she's going to kill two birds with one stone. She goes to buy my suit. Actually, she bought the suit for my senior picture, which was in the fall. So I take my senior picture. Um, look good, too. Look good in my senior picture. <laughs> Baby faces all get out, but I look good. And then, and then went through my senior year, and I was just this little mighty mite. Wasn't very tall. Uh, Easter comes along. I put the suit on. I'm, I've started to grow a little bit, and we're starting to see it's a little snug. Um, but I, I was able to wear it for Easter, and then graduation came and mom said that as she watched me sit during graduation I sat all hunched up because the suit coat didn't fit right have you ever had that Have you ever had that thing that doesn't fit right and what God's saying is I will trade your garment that doesn't fit right for one that feels perfect that when you worship me I'm going to take whatever your circumstances are that don't feel right and I'm going to put you into a place where even though your circumstances are crazy, it feels right to you. It's okay. You're with me. And we're connected. And it makes sense. And no one else would, wouldn't make sense to anybody else. And people walk up to you and go, are you okay? Because these circumstances are horrible, but you're smiling and I don't get it. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, but I just, it's all right. I'm in God. We're locked in. It's, it's okay. I will give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And here's the kicker. In case you haven't noticed, we live in a pretty depressed culture. We are messed up as a culture. We have problems. I, and if you're young and you're getting ready to go to college, I'm not sure what you're going to go to school for, but if you want to have a guaranteed job when you graduate college, become a psychologist because we got gobs and gobs and gobs of depressed people. Our souls are out of shape. Our souls are bent out of shape. And our soul is really the emotion of our being. It's, it's battered and it's bruised all the time. And, and it gets pummeled from every angle and it's like a punching bag sometimes. And it just gets pounded. And after a while, our soul just kind of gets exasperated and it just kind of wilts away and it becomes heavy. And for some of you, you're on medication because your soul has become so dark and it's become so battered and it's closed down and it just needs help. And it's taken you to this inner place with it and some of you, all you want to do all day is sleep. And it's not because you aren't getting enough sleep. You're sleeping all the time. You went to bed early at night and you slept through the night, but you wake up and all you want to do is just go back to bed. You don't want to get up. And some of you are, are functional on the outside and you're moving through life and you're saying, yeah, life's good, life's good, life's good. 
but on the inside it's dark and your soul is beaten up. And at the end of the day, in this particular psalm I want to show you, you have the psalmist talking to his soul, which is an amazing thought. Think about it. This psalmist is going to talk to his soul. What he understood is that our mind is the decision maker of our body. Our mind is the, is the choosing mechanism. But for most of us, what happens is we, we let our soul become the, the choosing mechanism. We let the soul tell the brain, this is what's going on in my world today, and so this is how we're going to behave. And so the brain says, okay, everybody, I just heard from the soul, and the soul is telling us that we're not doing real good today, so this is, everybody line up and get all, because we're not feeling all that happy today. This is how we're going to feel today. And the, and the soul is dictating to the mind how it's going to be. And that's not how God intended for it to be. God intended for us to renew our minds with his truth and with his passion every day. And that when we do that, our mind informs our soul. But that's not how it works for us. It's looking at God and it's remembering his attributes and his character. It's looking at God and remembering his face and his truth. It's, it's, it's looking at God and thinking about him and, and, and tuning into him and, and adoring him. And in the process of doing that, the Bible says our mind gets revamped. The, the Bible says that we get revved up, that the, our whole way of thinking changes when we do that. That, that when the mind gets revamped, it, it tells the soul, hey, we're revamped, we're, we're perk up, we're ready to go. You know, we, we're, there's been a change in us, perk up, it's time to, it's time to go, we've got to move. Perk up, we're thinking new thoughts. Perk up, we're, we're in a worshiping mode here. Perk up, God's good, God's, God's is God, he's on the throne, perk up. And the soul says, I don't feel like moving forward. I, I, you know, and the mind says, I, kn I know you don't feel like it, but we're going to move forward. And the amazing principle, and you've seen this in your own life probably a thousand times, the soul can tell the mind, this is the way I feel, and we just shut down. Right? You wake up, your soul just says, hey, I'm tired, I'm checking out today. I don't want to hear it. I've been bruised and battered. I've been kicked around enough. I'm, I'm checking out today. And so the soul starts to inform the mind, this is how we're going to be today. That's not how God intended it. God intended that the mind would be the guide for the soul. And so what happens is the mind is supposed to tell the soul, hey, come on, we're going this way. And the soul says, I, I don't really want to go. And the mind says, I know you don't really want to go, but we're going. And pretty soon, the soul goes, and along the way, the soul goes, well, you know, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. And in fact, and the more I do this, the more I'm listening to the mind, the, I, I kind of, this is all right. This, this isn't so bad. I kind of like this. Now, the soul didn't want to go, but when, it, when the body works right, the mind informs the soul. The soul does not inform the mind. And so, in this psalm, this, the psalmist is in a really tough spot. This is not, he's not in a happy place. 
It's in a happy time for him. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? In other words, soul, why are you so beat down? Why, why are you in a fog? And the soul might have said, well, it's because of this, or it's because of that, or, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here, or it's because of this, or it's because this thing happened. And he says, look, put your hope in God. That's worship. For I will yet praise him. Put your hope in God. We're getting ready to praise. Come on. We're going we're to go praise God. Get some hope. We're going we're gonna to praise him. And the psalmist is talking to his soul, and he's telling his soul, there is a drug, and it's called praise. And your soul needs some of that drug. It needs to praise. And it's going to change your soul. And he repeats it. And he talks about his difficulties, and he says, by the way, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Praise has power in it. You see this throughout the Bible. Jericho, they come up, the walls come tumbling down, and the walls come tumbling down for any other reason than, than that the people of God raise praise. There's power in praise. Jehoshaphat, we, we don't know what to do. And God says, well, just put the choir out there and have them worship. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have been in the choir? Well, listen, this is how it's going to go down. We're, we're going to go into battle, <clears throat> and we're going to take the choir we're going to put you guys out front. We're not going to give you any weapons or anything. We're just going to put you out front and have you singing. And you're going to kind of be the buffer. And the choir just went out saying, we're going to give thanks to the Lord. And God's love endures forever. Praise is powerful. It's fuel for the soul. And that is why it should matter. Is your soul tired? Is it is it sick? Is it sick and tired? <laughs> it needs a drug. And that drug is praise. That drug is worship. That drug is, is understanding. God sits on the throne and he is crazy about me. And yes, I'm in a world where stuff is breaking all around me and I'm getting bruised and battered from all sides, but God is on the throne and I'm going to praise him. And as I praise him, that is a drug that penetrates my soul and heals me. And I'm not wearing the spirit of heaviness anymore. And somehow it's lifted and your soul starts to breathe. Your soul and mine were made for God. And it is happiest when we are thinking on Him. So this week, renew your mind. Keep your mind on God. Keep your mind on Him on the throne. And worship Him continually. And think to yourself, I know the circumstances around me aren't good, but I'm going to trade my garments of heaviness for garments of praise. I'm going to put on the shirt that feels good. I'm going to put on the jeans that feel good. Our souls are happiest when we think about God. If you are a person who's not a Christian, your soul is never going to find true rest until you come to Jesus. And we are not really offering an invitation song this morning. I think Kyle's going to come up and sing and then dismiss us. But if you want to talk more about this, if you want to know more about Jesus and how he changes a soul, come find one of us. We'd love to talk with you. Let's pray together.
God, we give you thanks this morning. We have circumstances all around us that are hard. Uh, Some of us have had very difficult weeks. There are some in the room probably this morning that just feel like giving up. There are some in here this morning, Lord, that are pretending. Uh, They are such good actors, and they have the face up, and it all looks great. But underneath, their soul is battered and bruised. And we need you. We just need you. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would renew our minds as we worship. And that our body would work the way you intended for it to work. And that is that our mind would inform our soul, that our soul would not inform our mind. Help us, Father, in these next few minutes to kind of get ourselves centered as we go out to take on the rest of the world. That's where the battle is. It's out there. Prepare us. Center us. Heal us. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.